Welcome to This Week in the Ancient Near East, the podcast that takes archaeology exactly as seriously as it deserves. I'm Alex Jaffe, director of the Bob and Ray Institute of Archaeology at the University of Southern North Dakota at Hoople. With me, as always, are two academics from real institutions, Professor J.P. Dessel of the University of Tennessee and Professor Rachel Hallett of the State University of New York at Purchase. We're speaking to you today from the John von Neumann Center for Big Game Theory here on the beautiful Hoople campus. Today we're talking about the discovery of a stone game board from the 3rd millennium BCE Umm al nar culture in northern Oman. What did it mean to play a game in the Bronze Age? Was it a cognitive bridge towards abstract and strategic thinking, or was it just tired farmers playing with pebbles on a flat stone with divots? How many game boards were there anyway, and what other games did people play? And do social rules make games, or do game rules make societies? Ah, uh, the games people play. Okay, so so I have a I have a lightning round, as is my want. Most the lightning round is one of the most popular features of the podcast. Our, our, our listener has been writing in incessantly about it. That really, um, they just love these things. Okay. Most memorable sporting event you attended or participated in? Oh, oh my gosh. Well, that's, there's a lot. Okay. You got to prioritize and think fast. Oof. Well, I'll go first because clearly, JP, you've been to more of these than, than me. Um, my first ever Yankees game was very exciting, mm. even mm. even though they lost to the A's like twenty something. <laughs> seven. Uh, it but, happens. Uh, it happens. But before that downhill spiral started, it was just so exciting uh, right. to be there in the stadium in person. The right. old stadium, I think. The old stadium. And isn't it great when you walk into a baseball stadium and you go through like the cement tunnel or walkway in and all of a sudden you see that verdant green swath and it's like, oh my God, this is, this is holiness. Absolutely. And also walking through the tunnels also always reminds me of Roman arenas. That fact that the stadium... <laughs> Architecture has been consistent for 2,000 years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Except for the tigers and, and the people being crucified and fighting right. to the death. Right, right. Well, baseball is much more civilized than that. <laughs> it's true. It is. It's nothing if not civilized. That's right. <laughs> um, okay, so I'll go, with, I'll go with mine on a similar theme. It was... June 18th, 2005, Whoa. <laughs> the, the place was the old Yankee Stadium. The contest was between the Yankees and the Cubs. We had box seats behind the Yankees dugout, mm. courtesy of our friend Greg, who got them from one of his patients. And we had our 10-year-old sons with us. Mm. Oh, is that the game? Is that when you got the batting glove? <laughs> 
Oh, no, no. From Tino? No, I think that was another game. It was Military Appreciation Day. There was a huge flyover. Parachutists jumped into the stadium. Then, coming to the plate, the captain, Derek Jeter, one and only Grand Slam. And there's a picture of, of us with our sons taken from the third base side just as he hits the ball. Most memorable. Very memorable. Yeah. Well, mine also is a Yankee game. Ooh. And uh, it was, I also think it was my first Yankee, first attendance at the old Yankee Stadium. And I went with my father and a friend of my father who got the tickets and everything else and his son. And I don't remember anything about the game. It was, I think it was either, I think it was 1966. Hmm. But my friend's father was a friend of Tony Kubek, who was a former second baseman and Yankees announcer. And before the game, we got to go into the clubhouse. Ooh. And I took my... I took my program and I had all the Yankees sign it. And I oh, met, wow. yep. And I met uh, and shook hands with Mickey Mantle. Oh, oh. my. Oh, well, there you are. <laughs> wow. And uh, a whole bunch of other Yankees as well. Um, and uh, including Mel Stottlemyre and Fritz Peterson and um, Jake Gibbs, I think was the catcher. Um, Tom Tresh was the shortstop, whatever, a whole bunch of guys. And I had that program. And then when, and I wasn't there when my house was emptied and sold. Oh no. Oh, oh no. Oh, oh yes. <laughs> oh yes. Oh boy. Yep. You gotta, you yep. gotta. And Do you know which, had, had, which family uh, member to blame for this? Oh, I blame them all. Okay. <laughs> wow it's a it's a blanket condemnation of my, of my entire family but um i we had, know some good lawyers if you're yeah, interested there were, there were 25 or 26 signatures there and i met all of those guys and i was wow. in the locker room and that's why i'm a yankees fan and the yankees were horrible it was either 66 or 67 i don't think it was 65 and th those were the awful years and not only was it were they awful but going to the Bronx in 66, sure. that, that was like to the ends of the earth. And it was, you know, the crowds were small. Everything was filthy and dirty. You know, it was really the, you know, the, right. a downturn in, in, uh, in those days. And, um, but yeah, that was, that was incredible memory. Mm -hmm. hmm. Wow. Wow. That actually beats everything that we've said. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I had another another sports memory um, having to do with with wrestling, but we'll save that for another time. Whoa. I think we should probably find a segue into what we're actually talking <laughs> well, I'm about. Well, I'm working on it. I'm just I'm doing that stretching sign with my... The game well, people play. Ooh. Well, but I think that's exactly it, isn't it? <laughs> isn't that what we're really here to talk about? And the games uh, people play. The games people play, which is a, a song also. Um, yeah. Here, here we can we can uh, recollect specific memories of gaming experiences. Do you think that um, in the Bronze Age, when you sat down to play 
one of these stone game boards, like the one they found in the um, Kumera Valley in northern Oman. You think they had any memory of this? Or was just just fill in the time? Well, not, not to um, diss your lightning round, which was a lot of fun, but there is a big difference between witnessing a sporting event and um, playing a board game. Uh, and I can yes, think that of- that was a difference I was trying to lead. Thank you. <laughs> yes, well, I can think <laughs> of a few board games uh, that I've played that are memorable, but few oh, and really? far between, few and far between. Well, but that's the thing. Do you, I, I remember a kind of overall experience of playing board games, but I can't remember a specific individual game that stood out in any way. It's kind of a backdrop sort of a experience. Do you think that's how it was in the Bronze Age? Or? Well, I think that in these traditional societies in which subsistence was paramount and which most people you know, were, were basically responsible for, you know, the lower rung of society and working in the fields and all of that. Yeah. I think that this was just, you know, killing, the time. killing that one last hour of daylight, you know, before they had to go to bed and wake up and, you know, start it all over again. So I, I'm not, I don't think it was much more than that, but I think that that's a good point about how, um, time was spent in antiquity, which is something that we don't really think about yeah, too much yeah. because we don't really, we can't really access it. That's true. And it says a lot about leisure time because clearly some, some folks sometimes had some leisure time. Well, we know, right. And we know that they certainly had leisure time because we have all sorts of, you know, non-prestige objects being made, especially little figurines of, of quadrupeds and humans and this and that. So we know right. that they're that they're spending some of their time doing that. And um, certainly, you know, agricultural societies have a certain amount of leisure time. Um, right. But it's hard to say, you know, what they, how they reacted to the playing of the game and how big it was within that, their little world. Yeah. Well, maybe we should describe the game. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about the game and its context. It's a flat stone. <laughs> with some lines on it with, with some lines on it and some divots that right. are sort of chipped or chiseled into the thing and and it's it, it's one of not a huge number of examples from the bronze age right and this one comes from oman and it dates sometime in the in, second millennium yeah i think second millennium or third millennium well, they gave, there's a lot of wacky dates that, are, that show up in these articles. Yeah, that's true. It's old. I think, I think it one, be, yeah, it's old. One, one date I saw was somewhere between 2,600 and 2,000. Right. But, okay. then they, but then all the headlines say 4,000-year-old. Right, right. So maybe, right. It, it's, so, it, it comes from this, this what is Mining it? site. The right. Um, yeah, right. But the name the, of the culture is the- uh, Umanar. Umanar. Which right. leads to the second half of the third millennium. Right. Uh, most most renowned for its uh, copper mining, right. right, and copper trading. That's sort of the Eastern Arabian Peninsular copper manufacturing. Right. <laughs> manufacturing. <laughs> you don't get to use that word very much. Mm. But I thought that the, that the fact that there were these four sixty-five foot. There you go. Um, 
podiums or pillars or whatever they are towers. was towers. Right. That's the word. Yeah, was was very interesting. Right. Yeah. So so that's the first interesting thing is that they is that there's this supposed game board, and I think we can talk about that a little bit. But um, all the photographs are of this game board. Meanwhile, they've discovered four 20, 20 meter high towers. Nothing. Right, right, right. Three of them the are buildings. rounded and one is angular. Right, and I don't means. know what that means. Right, I don't know what that means either. So it's um, like they could have led with the towers and given us a picture of that. Right, um, very true. And there are also buildings, I suppose, associated with the towers and the game board was found in one of the buildings. Right, though in a secondary use. If you look at this picture, the game right. board is sort of either part of a wall or some rubble or hard to say. Yeah, it's kind of wedged between something or felt. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. But it would have been nice to have a little bit more description at least, even though these are popular newspaper articles of the towers themselves. Right. Because that seems kind of like an interesting feature. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And, and how far is this from a copper working site or a copper mining site? Well, that's a whole nother issue because, well, let's talk about whether this is a game. So they find this slab and it looks to be about, I don't know, three quarters of a meter in length and what, 30, 40 centimeters wide? Is that? Yeah. Yeah. And it's got a bunch of divots on it and in, it's got in a bunch rows. Of, right. And it's got a bunch of, right. Uh, things are sort of some kind of grid is etched into it with some divots or what they call cup holes, but right. little receptacles. And there's sort of a grid around them, sort of a diamond shaped or, or square shaped uh, grid. Right, though, right. And we don't have any drawings. We just have a photograph. Right. Um, all fair enough, because this is, you know, this is fresh out of the ground. Right. And that's the way we like it, right? We like, to, we like to comment counts. on it before any analysis has been done. <laughs> that's so right. We so we can't be wrong. <laughs> but, um, but why is it, so, so there are very few game boards found and everybody immediately jumps to saying that this is a game board. Right. Um, and, you know, it may well be a game board, but it could be really anything, right? It could be some, it could be anything. Washboard. It could be like a, an early plan of the site, right? And the, and the divots are towers. And it's in some kind of, you know, some kind of, <laughs> you know, grid plan. I mean. Well, that's a good one. <laughs> so they call it a game board. And then they say there are very few of these. And the, the examples that they give the most noteworthy one is this is the game board found in the in the uh, in the Royal Cemetery at Ur. Right. And that's so much more clearly a game board and beautifully right. made and a prestige item and it uses and shell. And so it's like, really, guys, you sure this is a game board? Well, the, I don't remember whether these news items talked about it, but the the Egyptian game of Senate. Yes. Which well, do they do they talk about Senate? I don't think yeah, they, they talk don't bring about up Senate. Senate, but they bring up the game of hounds and jackals or fifty-eight holes. Fifty-eight yeah, holes. Correct. So correct. apparently there are two there are two basic kinds of games. There's a, a Senate is is three <laughs> three rows of ten and um, and fifty-eight holes. It's kind of a circle with two rows. Eight and, holes. Yeah, and it all adds up somehow and no one knows how any of these things are played and no, that well um the royal game of Ur, we do know how that was played because they found some instructions and uh and it's been reconstructed and i thought senate the rules for senate are somewhat known i also thought i think there's disagreement 
People know how to play hounds and jackals. Um, Do they? At least to a certain extent. They know it's a two-person game and it might be a precursor to backgammon. Right. Well, okay. okay. So it doesn't tell me anything. Right. Even in these (laughs) articles, they talk about backgammon and it's like, and they say it sort of looks like backgammon. Now, I spent a lot of time playing backgammon in college. (laughs) I spent a lot of time in college doing two main things, playing backgammon and playing hearts. So I feel I have a certain amount of expertise in backgammon. We defer to you, our (laughs) our gaming expert. There's nothing about this this piece of stone that reminds me of backgammon. Nothing at all. The representative of the Brandeis Gaming Society. (laughs) Hey, in high school, I started the backgammon club. Oh, did you? You are an expert then. Okay. Mr. Wise Guy, and I was president of it, so I got to put that on my... (laughs) On my little CV. Yeah, college application. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Founding member of the backgammon club. That's cool. good. Yeah. To, to this day, I really don't even remember how to play backgammon. Well, that's the thing. I used to be able to play backgammon, and I would beat my grandmother when she was babysitting me. Ooh. And um, yeah, but now I don't remember the rules. I can play backgammon at the drop of a hat. Okay. <laughs> I have a hat around here somewhere, but... Uh... <laughs> But it doesn't look like backgammon. And the fact that everyone says it kind of looks like backgammon, it's like, no, no, guys, it really doesn't. Right. So, so, <clears throat> so what I want to ask is, in, another, in an earlier generation, this might have been called a cultic stone, a, divin, you know, a divination mm-hmm. stone or mm-hmm. something like that. Nice. Now, yeah. in, now, instead of being called cultic, it's being called a game board. It because we're be. all much more interested in the common man now than we were. Than common we person. Were, yeah. <laughs> Um, well, now I feel completely <laughs> off track. Um, the thing that interested me about, about this and, and about the whole game board phenomenon generally that I've been thinking about intently for a few minutes is that um, it, requ- it has rules, whatever they are. Right. It, it requires that those rules be learned either formally or through observation. It's a, a set of pattern behavior between two people. <laughs> Another lecture he never quite got to give. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, there and, and it involves, not just does it involve rules, but in, it involves a whole mentality of undermining those rules and cheating. Hmm. Right? Cause, cause it invites we all it. cheated when we played Monopoly and yeah. risk but, and everything else. But Monopoly right. is different than chess checkers or backgammon because Monopoly is, is you're, yeah, you're kind of supposed to cheat. Right, but you're always supposed to, in backgammon, it's like, wait a minute, that's, that, you know, that, that stone wasn't there. You, you that. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, when the, you're, put it this way, kids playing games, there's always a little, you know, there's always a little conniving going on. Are these kids playing games or? Adults are worse. <laughs> Adults are worse than kids. Well, that's the, in terms of cheating, that's true. But in terms of these ancient games, who's playing them? Is it kids or is it adults? I think that's going to be I, lost to the sands of time. I mean, no, because you couldn't, you know, you couldn't just stream a video in your hour of leisure time. <laughs> right. You couldn't even play cards. No, there's dice, let no, no Netflix in the Bronze right. Age. And you were probably a primitive era. You couldn't read a book. And, uh, and, and. <laughs> You're going to go through all of all of history until you get down to this is what they could do. <laughs> well, but also it, it, it has to be said, <laughs> therefore I'll say it, <laughs> that a lot of a lot of what we would 
considered games or what they considered games are, are invisible to us. So in every period, there are worked bones of some kind. We don't know what they're doing with these things. Yes. Okay. They're weaving or something, but there's knuckle bones. And until they, they eventually decide to make them into, you know, squared off things and put numbers on them. We don't recognize them as gaming pieces. And we don't also know what other kinds of games that they play, like wrestling or hoops or right or running back and forth. Right. Head head sound like throwing a stone as far as you could, throwing a stone to to hit to hit a sheep or a goat. (laughs) Right. Or both. (laughs) It's extra points. Um, or hopscotch, right. 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 So we're left with this thing though. So uh, so should we immediately start thinking about it as a game, as a game board? What else could it be? Should we speculate? Why I just said. I oh, just yeah, you did. Right. I gave you a whole bunch of things. Right. Right. It could be. And the fact that it wasn't, that it was, I don't know. I, I suspect it may, it may be a game, but to not bring up any other possibilities to a me, because now this is a game board forever. Right. Forever. Right. Right. forever right. For the rest of human history, <laughs> this thing is going to be example an example of a Bronze Age game board. This we will never get off of that point. Right, that's, right? that's ha- probably true. It um, hasn't been published or anything else, but the excavator of the sites called it a game board, and for the and damn it, per- that's what it's going to be. Exactly, in perpetuity, this will be a game board, and it will be an example of a game board, and it will be connected to the three other Bronze Age game boards. You know, one from Mesopotamia, one from the Levant, or wherever the other one is. Right. Like, There's right. one from Arad, but that's not there. Bronze Age, is it? That's yeah. Right. No, no. So uh, oh, EB, oh. EB two or EB three uh, or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But that they didn't even bring that up. No, they didn't. But I'll, I'll tell you what bothered me because I was reading about it. So, <laughs> so when you start talking about games, you start talking about the royal game of Ur, and apparently. Um, there are some people who think that it was used sort of as, as omens, as predicting the future, that it wasn't just a board game, that it was something religiously, cultically oriented. Um, when it sounds to me like, like you land on a spot and it says stuff like you will find a friend or you will become powerful like a lion. It's like a fortune teller. It's not, you know, a paper fortune teller. It doesn't have to be. Oh, but Monopoly is the same way. <laughs> go to jail. Do not right. go to jail. You're not really going to jail. <laughs> Right. You know, collect from your uh, collect from your your renters. So people in the future could think that this is like some sort of societal approach. This is how we randomly send people to jail. Could be, <laughs> <laughs> but but it but it's also a kind of ritualized behavior. It's it's not necessarily religious, although. Hold it! Didn't we just have a a, a podcast where we said everything is religious, or is that just? We're going to take that all back now. <laughs> no, I don't think, I Nothing think we probably said the opposite. I mean, I don't remember, but we probably said a lot of people say things are religious, but we well, don't. So. We, we put out a plea to our listener to remind us <laughs> what we said. <laughs> about. Yeah, well, you know, a divination, a right, divination, a divination board, right? right? You know, that's uh... the, the other thing I wanted to raise. Is that, is that everyone starts throwing out these things. Oh, you know, it's backgammon and, you know, the, it's like, the, you know, whatever yeah. few analogs they have. One of the analogs that I think is probably the best one is the game Mancala, in which you actually have a grid with little depressions that you put stones in or seeds or whatever your pieces are. 
And nobody mentioned that it, that it looks like a Moncala board. And to me, that's probably the closest thing that it looks like. So I, I was also kind of stunned by that. Right. Um, you know, well, why... just, that just could be the inadequacy of the news report. Right, but if you're going to call it a game and if you're going to say it's like backgammon, you know, right. You can spend five minutes on the inter interweb and, you know, <laughs> look for other potential parallels. But for me, it looks for me, if you're going to call it a game, then you should also raise the possibility that it is in the tradition of an early and incipient version of Moncala. Okay. Okay. I'll go with that. Yeah. No, because I was looking to see if that's, um, oh no, I found, I found a different game called Al, Al Kirke, which <laughs> survived in some way, shape or form as a Roman game, I think. And, and it survived in some way, shape or form through to the 12th century um, Spain. And it, uh, it uh, what was it? Oh, it's similar to Nine Men's Morris, this Roman game, um, none of which I had heard of. So I had to look it all up. Um, but what I did find was that a version of this game was found incised into um, the, uh, well, what's now the Damascus Gate area into the preceding gate to the Damascus Gate area, Hadrian's Gate from Roman soldiers who were so bored while they were on sentry duty that they incised this game board if in fact we can go with that explanation. So, so we have lots of game boards here and there or things right. that are interpreted as game right. boards. My, my big takeaway is that the people in the past were really bored. Well, uh, so wait, can I? I don't, I, I don't, I don't, well, I, I don't accept that. I think that, I think they had a rich inner life. I think they, <laughs> I think they told lots of, with interpretive dance. Yeah, exactly. I think they told lots of stories. Yeah, sitting around the fire, telling stuff. their oral histories. And they had lots of jokes. And, right. uh, you know, I think that they, I think they filled their time. <laughs> I, I don't know. I think after, you know, a few thousand years of that, you're going to get pretty damn bored of hearing the same stories. Can I ask you two a question just to break in here? I don't, <laughs> I don't like playing board games. I get bored when I play board games usually. Hence, hence the name. Yeah, right, exactly. I don't mind an occasional game of Scrabble or something like that. And and depending on the mix of people, Monopoly could be a lot of fun, but obviously it's endless. So I'd rather... <laughs> like life. <laughs> like capitalism itself. <laughs> I'd rather play um, something more physical, like Hopscotch or Red Rover. I mean, I'm thinking back to kid games, than sit Oh, there that was my other... That was my other uh, sporting example. It wasn't Red Rover, but it was a memorable game of kick the can played at the end of graduate school. Oh, wow. But, you know, and, and unless you've seen, unless you've played kick the can with a bunch of 20 and 30 somethings, well. And, <laughs> and really, isn't graduate school just kicking the can down the road? Yeah, well, <laughs> there's a larger, <laughs> there's a larger metaphor at work here. I was but, also thinking to bring it back to sort of meta archaeology at the end of a long, exhausting dig day, a 12, 15 hour dig day, people go out and play like a pickup basketball game or a soccer game. You know, they don't sit around and play a board game. Um, I don't know. We it's, don't see any of those things, though, in, in antiquity. You know, taking the taking the head of a of a sheep and tying it up in a in a linen bag or something and kicking it around. We're not going to, no, we're, we're not, not going to see that. any of that kind of stuff. 
right. Unless by chance there was, you know, such a head in some way preserved in a tomb. Right. right. When we would assume it's some sort of ritual offering. Right. And that, and that act of taking the head of a whatever, kicking it around, that probably has ritual or metaphysical significance in some way that we can't quite imagine. Right. But I, I like I like thinking of these board games, the, the few examples, as as saying something about the human capacity for abstraction, because you have to have kind of a, a kind of spatial reasoning. You have to have a certain strategic concept. You know, go first. Get to the end first. How do I do that? Okay, I'll accept all of that, but. How complex really is that? Well, I, I mean, if you put, a, you know, if you put four or five people together and you give them a lifetime. <laughs> it's, they'll, they'll it's the the infinite few, monkeys theorem. Of, uh, right. They'll invent, work. A, they'll invent a few games to pass the time. Right. I don't, I think that that's getting into the trap of, oh my, <laughs> look at how complicated, look at how clever Look at how extraordinary these people are. And it's like, no, of course, people are creative and industrious enough over the span of their 40 or 50 years. They're going to, you know, invent something to pass the time. And in this case. Right. But in this case, they're they're either bored enough or ambitious enough to spend that extra hour or two chiseling little divots in a flat piece of stone. Right. And the the investment, as opposed to just making a grid and some divots in the dirt. Right. Which is probably what, how it started. Right. So right. I, well, I, don't, I don't know that it's a gigantic signpost in the evolution of human cognition. Yeah. Well, there's, but, uh, you know, it says something. I don't but you know think what, Yuval Hariri has a chapter on this in his book, right? Probably. I don't think it shows up in Sapiens. <laughs> um, there's a big difference between types of board games. You know, there's the Candyland level and there's the competitive chess level. And there's many things in between. And there's the let's, you know, it's it's dark out, but we're not ready to go to sleep. So let's play a game versus um, let's, I don't know, let's reach a high level of this versus we're, we're the elite. And, <laughs> I'm, and a, I'm a grandmaster at this game. <laughs> right, well, there, and but then there's also the, the scene from the Ten Commandments where, where the Pharaoh and the, the daughter are playing uh, hounds and jackals with this gorgeous game board and you know, just entertaining themselves. Well, so I think that, right. So I think that if this was um, symbolic or symptomatic of a very higher order construction, like Alex, you're suggesting, that we'd find a lot of prestige versions of these games beginning in the, you know, sort of late fourth millennium in, you know, mm. in Mesopotamia, in Egypt, and that we'd find more examples in Bronze Age societies writ large across the Near East. And we simply don't. So I think that at a fundamental level, this is sort of lower order stuff that people do on an ad hoc basis. So again, you know, and yes, there's probably a big rich oral tradition of a bunch of different games or, you know, sort of a, a, a suite of games that are being played across the Near East with some set of conventions. But I don't think it, I don't think we have enough data to talk about it as reflecting 
some kind of higher order, some kind of, you know, societal mode of it stopped us before. Well, <laughs> well <laughs> I, I think we need more of them. I think we need more of them. To, well, to... that's the puzzling thing is that there aren't very many. There's right. a bunch of Senate examples in Egypt, but outside of outside of Egypt, there's only a handful in the in the Bronze Age, at least. Right. And even this game, 58 holes, which apparently there was a a, a talk at an ASOR meeting in 2016 about this game by by a scholar. Right. You know, there's not even a, there are not even a lot of examples of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, so can we, should we, maybe we shouldn't talk about um, <laughs> sort of trade routes and intellectual ideas going down trade routes and even, even if it's not the game itself, the idea of games, because there's a lot, when, when you read about the site, not just the game board, but when you try to find information about the site, you learn about the copper smelting and you learn mining and smelting and you learn about that this is located in an area where trade routes are coming together and also mesopotamian texts talk about um uh, copper from oman right thank you the phrase you were grasping for right now I, I was looking for for dillman and and megan as you know being identified as what about maluha <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah they're a pair it's the holy trinity right yeah. right so so in other words oman is uh probably identified as megan and and there it's a known place where i guess in the akkadian period if i'm remembering correctly uh there, there was contact with it, right. it direct so so you want to oh, talk about that or but, not? okay but the question it goes back to the to the other question is how complicated is this really? Is this a, a case of you know, uh, you know a, a, high, a high level of, of intellectual diffusion? Oh, and by the way, you, you make copper this way and, and you can make divots in a stone and, and play with little tokens. Or is it like, oh yeah, you know, did you hear about this? Like, or is everybody doing it already? Has everybody been doing it for thousands of years? We know about that. All right, so we we can get answer that, but in a I'll I'll answer that tangentially. On, on, <laughs> Which is the best way <laughs> <laughs> on a like minded podcast that is far more popular and and serious. Um, what's it called? How stuff works. You know that one. Well, There's a TV show. Did, no, that's how things are made. Oh right. How, how it's made. Oh, stuff you should know. I'm sorry. Oh, stuff you okay. should know. They recently did two episodes on uh, rock, paper, scissors yeah. and tug of war. Okay. And tug of war, they, they concluded that there was not a whole lot behind tug of war. <laughs> that was, <laughs> not, not a whole lot socially, culturally, or in any other way. How, but how surprising. Rock, right. Mm. But rock, paper, scissors has, is a big global, is a big example of a global phenomenon that's played in very similar ways and started in China and went to Japan and then sort of diffused around the world and that everybody plays uh, rock, paper, scissors and that there is sort of, and there's, you know, a, a kind of a strategy behind it and blah, blah, blah. It's, it's a whole big developed thing. So that sort of speaks to this issue of the diffusion of an idea mm -hmm. whose relevancy and core is so compelling 
that everybody adopts it. It's it's the 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 popularity of shoots and ladders or or whatever right. it is. Yeah. Um, something that's fairly rudimentary that catches on quickly. There aren't a lot of rules to, to understand. It's, it's fun for, for everyone between eight and 80, um, as opposed to something that is highly refined and rarefied, like, I don't know. Chess. Well, but chess, you but could- chess, is, chess really is in a category all of its own. Yeah. All right, all right. Right. I mean, I, you don't have to agree, but I'm saying because chess really is a global phenomenon and chess has a very, very rarefied perch in games, personship, in competition, in, you know, it's extraordinarily intellectualized and it has it's sort of a cultural base note in certainly in, you know, Russia and okay. in probably a few other places on planet Earth. Um, so I think chess is a little different. Well, but, but I think chess usefully kind of illustrates some of the, some of the parameters that we're, that we're looking for, at least there's a board, there's gaming pieces, there's a set of rules, but, uh, and, and anybody can learn how to play it from kids, from kids on up. It requires spatial reasoning. It demands strategy. And it becomes incredibly strategic. Yeah, it's very sophisticated. Yeah. I don't think anyone can play it. I mean, yeah. you know, I, I think that that's not that's part of it. Is yeah. that there are certain people who are adept and certain people who are not. Yeah, yeah. I'd also argue that that games like chess and backgammon and even Monopoly, which have very simple grids and or very structured grids are different than games like shoots and ladders and, and life and, you know, all these other modern candy games land and candy land, which have these wavering winding things that, you know, if you're going to play, you know, it's, it's just something that is more universally able to be adapted and simply, you know, you see, you see a square, you see a, a grid and, uh, and anyone can copy that and make it what they want to. Um, the rules may vary, but the board is the same for what that's worth. <laughs> uh, and yeah. of course now we have game theory and, mm -hmm. and that's taken that's taken you know the essentials of game playing to some kind of you know um level of of mathematic mathematical computation and you know algorithms and everything else to an right. extraordinary level that's true um, too right is there is there a game theory that that applies directly to Candyland or Shoots and Ladders? <laughs> <laughs> Only the theory that it will occupy young children for hours on end, well past their parents, um, you know, you know, tolerance level. Yeah, yeah. Well, one of these one of these ancient games, maybe it was or maybe it was Fifty Eight Holes, is described as as um, a game that combines luck and strategy, and I th think that's another difference. That you know, games that uh, are purely luck are a different type of game than when you can have a strategy. And that's what you were saying before about cheating, because cheating is a strategy. Cheating is a strategy, right? Yeah. But I feel like we've gotten sidetracked, and it's probably my fault. <laughs> I don't. It's no one's fault. <laughs> this is a fault-free zone. Okay. So what were we talking about before? <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, but in a in a formal in a formal game setting, when you have three rows of ten or whatever, you can't really get sidetracked unless a sheep wanders in <laughs> and then walks across the board. There's only a limited amount of strategizing that you can do, I think, because you've got thirty spaces as opposed to, and, and things go in, I guess, one direction. Wow. Um, but we don't know. Maybe they go back and forth like cricket. Right. And and it, what's that game? Oh, isn't isn't in Uno? At a certain moment, depending on the card, you can reverse directions. Oh, that's mm -hmm. right. Right. So you know, who knows? Maybe there's all sorts of possibilities for for reversing directions. Right. Was there, I mean, is, in that is, regard, there's a tremendous amount of flexibility that you yeah. can you know you can you know have a grid and have little cup holes, have little receptacles, and you know you can design it one way, and then you can you know completely well, change it and maybe right. all the game pieces were were different and the horse did one thing and the little car did another thing and <laughs> the, the formal properties we're only seeing the the playing space but not the formal properties of the of the uh game pieces themselves so the thimble could do something different than the hat right right and then the fork runs away with the spoon <laughs> <laughs> and you're like Game over, man. <laughs> right. um, well, I think the most important thing about board games is that is that when you're losing, you can just upset the board and the game's over. That's true. Right. right. And I'm sure so that happened a... regardless of which ancient game we're talking about. Right. And that's with a heavy rock. So you got to right. be careful. Yeah. That's a good point, too. But right. yeah, so now the... there's also the, we're talking about competitiveness. So we're learning, learning about human nature and antiquity, too. Like, how seriously was this taken? Right. And there's a behavioral component because I, I imagine that then as now it's, it was bad form to upset the, the board and toss it <laughs> on your, on your little brother. Cause it's a oh, big, true. flat, big, flat rock. So you, right. Exactly. And I mean, we can sort of almost get to Cain and Abel with, with, ooh, you know, yeah, yeah, that's right? good. Taking that board and, you know, I told you not to club your brother or sister <laughs> over the head with, with the game board. Right. Right. So you're reinterpreting actually that story as pure rage after a game and he didn't necessarily intend to kill him. Um, I, I leave that open to, to the world at large. That's, that's, that's fun to speculate about. Yeah, that's good. What, what is the connection <laughs> to, <laughs> to, for, to other, I'm sure there are other biblical stories and, and laws that we, we could get at this way. Look how we got from point A to point B. Wow. Well, that's, game that's, theory in the Old Testament. That's good. <laughs> Hashtag game theory in the Old Testament. Hashtag, hashtag nonsense, nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but but rules. rules. The existence of rules. Rules. That's so. So here we could speculate which came first: a ruled society that produces ruled games, or games with rules that then lead the way into a into a, a structured society. Oh wow. Um. I've left everyone speechless. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm deciding. <laughs> well, I, I personally think that you have to have a structured society first because you gotta, you, you gotta, you gotta have a complex society before you have the leisure time to play games. Right, but but, but as we've seen, leisure time. Even trans egalitarian hunter gatherers right. have time to make complex things, iconography and architecture, mm -hmm. out of giant rocks. And I don't know, frankly, game boards seem like a step down in a way, but, but maybe they were, you maybe, know, spending well, their time differently. Well, you know, that whole argument about sort of the transition from the, um, 
you know, the sort of the Halafs Hasuna Samara to the Ubaid and onto the Uruk with the, um, you know, with all sorts of technologies and ways of doing things becoming more restricted and more uniform and, um, you know, what, uh, what's the right word? Uh, industrialized. Right. You know, maybe games are the de-abstractification of leisure time. So people were being very, very creative and abstract and all over the place. And then, you know, <laughs> and some, some headman said, no, 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 no. We're playing games. Everyone's going to fit into these little roles now. And so, you know. Well, that's, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they used to run around and play outside before they <laughs> right. had. Now they, they just, just, <laughs> right. now they just sit and play on this rock. <laughs> hey, you kids, you gotta, put down that game another, and go outside and play. Right, you've got another five temporal <laughs> units on the rock. <laughs> and after that, you're going outside. Maybe, maybe this thing is the Xbox of the of the early Bronze Age. Exactly. I like that. Right. And, and you know what we're what we're seeing is 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 not a, an increase in human cognition, but it's restriction. Right. It can go either way. Yeah. I just That's... wish we had more of them because by having so yeah. few, it really makes it seem like you know this is the. Um, this is something something unusual and, and something that wasn't routinized yet, which I what can't if you, really Yeah, do. but what if you're using a piece of, of I don't know, chalk, cool. whatever, to etch something into the ground? And well, I'm sure that we're missing uh, zillions of examples that were, you know, just sort of roughly yeah. made into the dirt or carved on a piece of uh, wood or something. Right. I don't so know millions, but yeah. 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 Considering we, so can we just come back to location for a second, considering first location, of all. Location, location, location. Correct. Correct. So first of all, we're not even sure that this, we are not even sure that this is a game board, although all the news reports seem pretty sure about well, it. I just but, wanted to raise that as, you know, a, again, a sort of a basic activity in archaeological interpretation. Right. Know. Right. Okay. Fair enough. So, if this is a game board, so here it is in this in this place in northern Oman that's known for copper mining and is on trade routes. So, what are we saying about that? Can we say that games are played everywhere? Uh, can we say that games are played in places which have contact with other places? Well, I think on the <laughs> I think on the limited number of examples that we have, we could say whatever. Whatever we want. Right. Um, I mean, is there a takeaway from this game being found in this spot? You can say no. I, I, think, that's, I think that's a little too far. Fine. It takes a lot for me to say that because usually <laughs> I'm willing to, you know, shoot my mouth off about these kinds of things. Well, you know, again, uh, how, what, what would the mechanisms of diffusion have been? And how much of it's not exactly rocket science um uh, right it's people not, running right. from village to village with this great it's not like pokemon cards that well that's are suddenly the are the rage mm -hmm. you could argue against any kind of diffusionary model because the because it's a, on a big rock and mm -hmm. um i guess <laughs> i guess if you knew the game and you traveled you could carve it on a rock you know 50 kilometers down the water right so i guess you could do that right so right, that's, that's what I'm thinking. I'm not thinking the physical game being carried, but right. Here. So if we so had examples every 50 kilometers <laughs> diffused from a central right, point then we have cultural that we could date, right? Yeah. I, but it also it has to be said that that 
the act of carving divots on a rock and creating some kind of, you know, tokens or game pieces fits in with other industries of, of late prehistory, like making groundstone tools of some kind. But again, we have so many groundstone tools. That and so few examples of these. This were regular. Right, right. And right. the other thing I should mention that in Mancala, in, in, um, they often use seeds as the pieces. Oh, that's mm. interesting. It's not even producing pieces. It's just collecting, you know, little, little seeds or really almost anything. You can use small stones. So, you know, that there is, it's even simpler than, than we think. Right. Possibly. Right, right. Yeah, that brings me back to hopscotch because you can use anything as a potsy. Right. And of course, you could then return to the fact that we have all of these tokens of all shapes and sizes and kinds right. beginning yeah. of the ninth millennium. That we so have maybe no that is right. Sure. So this is evidence of, of constant game gamemanship. Right. And, and if you want to take Alex's incessant argument <laughs> that they're making, that they're, Relentless that they're scratching these game boards into the dirt, then the tokens could be being used for that. Right, right. No one's brought up the buzz though, in terms of game playing. And I know this is a special topic or, or holds a special place in your heart, uh, uh, Alex. The buzz? What's the buzz? You know, the little shirt with the two holes in it? Oh, oh, oh yeah, that thing. Oh yeah, well, that's true. I, <laughs> I, I caused some kind of ripple through space time with, you know, that was, uh, where was there was one from Tel Gemma a million a, years ago? Yeah, there's a bunch of them, and one of our one of our friends and colleagues uh, published uh, published these well, things. I wrote a dissertation on it, didn't he? Yeah. Hmm. Again, a toy. Um, right. That, so that you know, we don't have a lot of. It brings us to the toy. Right, the toy right. segment exactly. of our discussion, and, and that's we missed that up until now, right? Yeah, toys that's true. Yeah. This is we, where we, we should have at, started. Damn it! Right, we looked at toy. We looked at games as being some big social construct, as opposed to being a toy. Right. And we have, you know, are things toys or are they not toys? You know, we have they all, these, yeah. all these little wheeled things in from from Mesoamerica, where they didn't use the wheel, and they're assumed to be toys because, or you know, because they, you know, they were. They were making wheels for little toys, but they weren't using the wheel in society. So, right, right. Um, right. So, right. Is a game a toy? Where is a game a teaching tool? <laughs> so, son, sit down here. I want to teach you something <laughs> with these divots. On you got to ask a cognitive psychologist or whatever. They'll tell you that, you know, all kids play is training to be an adult, but not on a conscious level. Well, the other thing that I was thinking of in, in, in relation to this is that coming out of, you know, uh, uh, hundreds of thousands of years of hunting and gathering, where pretty much everybody had to do one of those two things. You could hunt or you could gather or you could do both. You know, it's like importing and exporting. Emphasize <laughs> <laughs> one, you know, really work to work on the other. Um, but at a certain point, individuals, and I'll just mention myself, massively <laughs> nearsighted, <laughs> who would be completely useless as a, as a hunter, really. Right. 
they're just be a great gatherer. Yeah, you would be a very you would be a great gatherer. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'd be on my I'd be on my hands and knees. Oh, I have horrible eyesight. Also, the two of us we'd be we'd be gathering. You know, we'd be medicinal plants. Right. Exactly. We'd be close to the ground, gathering wildly. Right. (laughs) Right. Right. But this is this is a you know a, a specific locus of activity that almost privileges people with bad eyesight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's interesting. And also the ability to count. That's something else that we right. can Right. That's right. true too. It, it, that, you know, that's the whole numeracy thing. Right. You don't and know where fits, it comes from. Right. And that fits into your teaching and structure and sort of these, you know, counting is, you know, like language, one of these, you know, kinds of essential right. structures of the human mind kind of thing. Right. And, and economic texts preceding any sort of literary right. text. Maybe this thing is an abacus. Right. <laughs> right. I would have liked anything. I yeah. would have liked a couple of possible suggestions before settling on a game board. That's yeah. actually very good that it was some sort of counting tool. I, I kind of like that. Well, if it was, they weren't counting very high. <laughs> well, well you don't know there could be ways of you know they, stacking them up, right? Yeah, the, the, right. the hat could symbolize 10, the <laughs> right. shoe could symbolize 30. Or the right. or the count, you know, the little divots. This this yeah, yeah, yeah. In this part of the grid is this is 48. Exactly. This is 60, yeah. 63. Right. They started using a base 17 until they realized that that was really <laughs> not gonna work. Right. It's completely insane. <laughs> so yeah. No, I like that as a possibility. Um, yeah. I mean, some games are clearly games, you know, the games, the, the Egypt games, the Ur game, we know that those are games for sure, but not every grid has to be a game. That's an important point. Ooh. <laughs> I, I, I try to make things seem important. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that that's might be, game. that might be a good place to sum up yeah. actually. Okay. Um, any final thoughts? Want to well, see I'm more of these things. I want to see more of them. Go yeah. find more, please. Right. And find some counters that could have gone with this thing. Well, if nothing else, we got a lot of cool Yankee stories out of this episode. So we'd like to thank Erez Dessel, educator in residence at the Savannah Music Festival, for our theme music. We'd also like to thank our sponsor, Commodore International, maker of the Commodore 64, the world's most powerful game computer. To get in touch, leave us a comment. Send us an email at thisweekintheancientneareast, as you know, it's all one word, at gmail.com, or send us a postcard at P.O. Box 1177, Boston, Mass., 02134.